Hello, I'm Elliot Knight, Director of the Alabama State Council on the Arts. Welcome to Alabama Arts Radio. Each week, Council staff will introduce you to exceptional artists and special people who make the arts happen in Alabama. Alabama Arts Radio features the visual, performing, literary, and folk arts that contribute to our state's rich cultural heritage. Join us each Wednesday at 9 p.m. Central to explore the diverse and dynamic arts landscape in Alabama. Hello, this is Ann Kimsey with the Alabama State Council on the Arts. I'm here today with Ashley M. Jones, who is the Alabama Poet Laureate. Hi, Ashley. Hey, Ann. I wanted you to let our listeners know what the Alabama Poet Laureate is and a little bit about your plans. Yeah, I, it's since becoming Poet Laureate, I find the thing I do the most is explain what a Poet Laureate is. <laughs> but I think that goes to show that poets, we're a little too insular sometimes. We need to show everybody else what we're doing. But the short version of it, a Poet Laureate is a representative of poetry for some constituency. So you can be a Poet Laureate of a library system, a city, a region, a county, a state as I am, or of the country. And so I, as we know, um, I'm serving the state of Alabama. So I am charged with the task of promoting poetry, creating opportunities for people to encounter poetry, write it, hear it, and just generally representing our state wherever I go. So in the past, when I went out of state to read, I was just Ashley M. Jones, the poet. Now, when I go out of state to read, I'm also carrying this title. So it's just a little, it's a little different. You know, I'm a government representative, but I don't have any power politically. I'm an artistic branch of the government. How were you selected to be the Poet Laureate? It's actually a pretty involved process, and it's different state to state city to city, but in Alabama, the process is really controlled by the community. A lot of people have assumed that the governor just chooses in Alabama, and again, in other states, it's different, but here it is shepherded by an organization called the Alabama Writers Cooperative, and they are the oldest, I believe, writing organization in our state, if not the oldest, one of the oldest. We're coming up on our 100-year anniversary in 2023, and so the AWC appoints a committee the Poet Laureate Committee. That committee is made up of people from the writing community across the state of Alabama. You know, we had several professors, poets, community members on that panel. From there, applications are uploaded on the website and different people from the community can ask someone if they'd like to be nominated. You have to give consent for that and you then help that person fill out a nominations packet which includes your resume, some work samples, and letters of support from the community. And so from there, all those nomination packets were sent to that committee. They deliberated and voted on their official nominee. It was me. And then from there, I went in front of the AWC's membership at their annual meeting, and they voted me in as the official selection. And then the challenge was to get on Governor Ivey's calendar, which is very full, as you might imagine. And then I was commissioned in December. Well. Congratulations. Thank you. What is the length of your term? It's four years, so I will go until 2026. And you have some distinctions as being the youngest Mm -hmm. poet laureate and the first African-American poet laureate in Alabama. That's correct? I'm actually the first person of color 
in general. Um, okay. The first black person, yes, but the barrier, I guess, that I'm breaking is a little bit bigger in that we haven't had anyone of color for the last almost 100 years. So, but yes, those are my distinctions. And you have written several books of poetry or poetry collections. Would you tell our listeners the titles of those and maybe you would like to read a selection from one of them? Sure. Yeah. So I have three books of poetry right now. Hopefully in the future, that number will be a lot more, but I have three so far. And the first one is called Magic City Gospel, which was released, I believe, in 2016. My MFA thesis is this book. So it holds a lot of special feeling for me. I and mean, it's all about Birmingham and our history with civil rights and also my personal history growing up in Birmingham, a place so charged with you know, history and social justice. My second book is called Dark Thing, which was released in 2019. And this book was written during, what is a nice way to say it, a time of political unrest in our country. So I wrote this book during the time leading up to the 2016 election and after. So there was a lot of feeling, I'll say, um, in me. So this book deals with history as well. It talks about histories of oppression in our country and how we can really look to any time period in our country and find some of these same issues that we are facing today. And my third book was released in September of 2021. It's called Reparations Now. And this book is sort of like the other two in that it includes history and personal stories as well. This book focuses on the idea of reparations in a political and personal sense. The root word of reparations is repair. And a lot of people, when they hear that word, they think only of the political idea where a certain group would be owed money or 40 acres and a mule or what have you. But that's certainly a part of it. But in this book, I try to explore all other meanings of that word. So what does it mean to repair what has been broken or what was broken from the start in race relations, in ideas of equity and justice, but also personally, how can we repair the self when we feel that things are stolen from us? Whether that's in, you know, interpersonal relationships or even how we feel personally impacted by the government. So that's my three books. And for a sample, let's see, I was reading some poems the other day with the people from Red Clay Media. They're making a mini documentary on me. And there were some poems that I read that I just haven't read in years. And I wanted to read one of those. So this poem is called God Speaks to Alabama. I molded you from red clay, sweet cornbread, the slow drip of a lemon squeezed over sugar and ice. I kissed you to life on the lips. Mama bird, I am. My tongue feeds you blood. I have waited in this heat for you to pucker and say my name. Hallelujah, Alabama. I give you fire and blackberries and white, thick cotton. I give you the honeybee and the yellowhammer. Find me, swallow me down and whisper me to passersby as you sit nightly on the creaky front porch. Thank you. That is such beautiful imagery. My goodness. Thank you. Uh, so you pull a lot from the Alabama landscape and, and your experiences. I did. Yeah. 
that poem, like I said, was in Magic City Gospel. And a lot of that whole project was me trying to like make myself feel like I was at home. I was very homesick. So I used my poetry to travel back to Alabama since I couldn't, you know, drive 13 hours every weekend, you know, from Miami to Birmingham. And so a lot of the poems like that one are focused on things that I took for granted while growing up here, like the landscape, like the quiet, beautiful moments, and even the blessedness of this place. I think a lot of times, People see the South and our religiosity in one way, but I think the beauty and, like I said, the blessing of being here can be found first in nature and in what the place looks like, how it feels, how people sound, in the food. Like I mentioned cornbread, my favorite food, cornbread is, you know, like a blessing, a prayer, a moment of praise. So the poems are sort of doing that. And I think that's why I was so happy to to meet those poems again yesterday, um, reading them at the filming, because I've really been dealing a lot with political side. And this first book is political too, but it's nice to kind of remember what you're even fighting for, you know? And those beautiful moments are part of, you know, what I would say I'm fighting for. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And do you feel like going out of state for graduate school made you appreciate Alabama more? Absolutely. I definitely was like many people who grew up in Alabama or in the South in general. I was trying to find a way to get out of here. You know, when I was young, I was like, man, I got to go somewhere else because this can't be it. You know, you're kind of raised to believe that the South is somewhere to feel shame. You know, of course, given the history that we have in the South and the way that it's sown to us, both in the media and even in school, you only kind of hear that we're to blame for all the horrible things that happened. But leaving, you know, traveling outside of the state and, you know, reading the history on your own too can help you understand that this is not the only place where these things happen and in fact the whole country was involved you know there there were benefits to the slave trade for example the money earned from that the economic structure from that benefited the whole country so it kind of changes your perspective when you're not directly in here you know only mm -hmm. feeling the like walls of the south closing in on you if that makes any sense um, yes, once we leave and of course, I was in Florida, so people are like, well, you were still in the South. But was I really in Miami, you know? <laughs> I would say Panhandle, no. maybe. But... <laughs> right, exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah, Miami is a far cry from anywhere I've ever been. But it kind of made me realize, okay, there's these issues here. And even meeting people from other countries, you know, in Miami, it's a very multicultural sort of place. So you meet people from the Dominican Republic, from Haiti, from Cuba, from anywhere, you know, and they describe some of the issues that they deal with in their countries. And then again, you just start to realize this is all here. Um, it's all everywhere. And so, yeah, leaving allowed me to go on that journey. And I definitely realized the things that I took for granted, like I said earlier, were things that I loved. You know, I loved hearing Southern accents. While here, as a young person, I thought, oh, I can't stand this. I don't really have an accent, which I now am like, oh, I wish I had one. You know, I don't know how I didn't get it, but I love the sound of Southern people so much. The music of the way that we talk, you just can't find it anywhere else. You know, and the slowness, or maybe I should say the perfect balance of speed. You know, a place like Miami is just always fast. It's always leaving you in the dust. Here in Alabama, you have those places where you can feel like things are moving quickly, like, you know, Birmingham, Huntsville, bigger cities, you can get that feeling, but you can also step one toe outside of it and feel 
calm, you know, um, and I missed that. So yeah, if I hadn't left, I don't know that I would have come to this love for my home as quickly. It might've taken me years to realize it. So as a poet, you're really tuned into sound and voices and, and words and language. So do you, do you think your poems sound Southern or? That's a good question. I hope they do, honestly. I really hope they sound Southern. And people have told me, actually, that it's clear who wrote these poems. So I think because I'm trying to show up in the work as authentically as I can, of course my Southernness is in there. Of course my Blackness is in there. Of course my womanness is in there. So yeah, I definitely think they have that feeling. I mean, I use, you know, those images that we're used to in the South, like the poem I just read. I think anybody from the South can start to, like, smell the things that I'm describing or hear them. And even like the way that I'm, I'm able to play with language, I feel is a Southern move. You know, we're able to make a phrase, you know, sing in a way that nobody else can. Like I'm trying to think of a saying from Alabama or from the South that people don't know in other places. But I think you know what I mean, And Like there's some yes. things that we say and like it only means something to us and we've been able to like turn language into something fun. And so I do think part of that is what allows me to feel so free to do that on the page as well. Is there another poem you'd like to share? Have you been reflecting a little bit on the first one? Sure. I'm going to just pick up reparations now and see what it tells me. Let's do this one. Okay, I flipped to one that kind of speaks to what I was just talking about. So this is a sonnet. I thought this book was going to be a book of sonnets when I first started writing it. That didn't quite happen. But this is one of the sonnets that still made it through. Um, and it's called Obad, My Mother Calls Home. And mm-hmm is softer sweeter than yes. Out of my mother's mouth, it's a song. How beautiful this flavor of English, best served over the phone, best from mother, now miles and miles away from home. Greensboro and its clay, its quiet constellation of field flowers, the unrelenting glow of porch lamps, lemons filled with light. The sun is a dull bulb in comparison. Today, I wake to my mother's voice, her sister on the other side of the line. There's a comfort in knowing this language can stir the air until it feels like a mother's tongue, comfortable enough to drop. That one also is, is lovely. I was reading along and I'm looking at you, MHM. Say that again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> It helps to have a poet read. Yeah. It work. So you know exactly how it's supposed to sound. Right. I first met you, I believe, when you were working with some of your students. And, a, mm -hmm. and you are a creative writing teacher at the Alabama School of Fine Arts. Right. And you were coaching your students at the Poetry Out Loud. That's right. Yeah. State yeah, finals. Yeah. It's a recitation competition. Would you like to talk about working with uh, students and teaching? Sure. Yeah. I love teaching. And I always tell people, if you want to be a teacher, make sure you actually want to be a teacher because it's hard to fake it. You know, it's a demanding job emotionally and also, you know, intellectually. But I really, really enjoy being in the classroom. And I think I've loved teaching since I was in high school at ASFA. We had to do summer camps and outreach, you know, with other students. And I just learned that I really enjoyed that environment, having that kind of conversation. Because to me, in my classroom, it's a conversation. I am never going to be 
the keeper of all knowledge. I can't know everything. I mean, I'm older than the students, but that's about it. You know, we, I, I may have read a few more books. I may have a little more experience, but in the end, we are exchanging knowledge because they will, you know, tell me things, I'll tell them things. And in a, an art classroom, I really think that exchange sort of atmosphere is absolutely necessary so that the students feel free to explore and try things out without feeling like they're going to do something wrong. So I just love that. And I love seeing them discover their own voices and discover the power that they have within their art form. Yeah, and I, I actually never thought I would teach high schoolers. As I was moving through college and even through grad school, I had this like cement plan. I'm a, a big planner. I've had this life plan since I was like, I don't know, 10, who knows, maybe younger than that. I'm oddly focused, I think too. Like I've known I've wanted to be a writer for a super long time. But in college, I thought, okay, I'm gonna go through, get my graduate degree. In that plan, I, I got a PhD in higher ed administration. Haven't done that yet. I'm reconsidering what kind of PhD I might want if I want it. But in that plan, I was gonna go through and teach college level creative writing and then transition to administration and make my way up to college president. That was the plan. However, when I was in grad school, I started volunteering in the city of Sunrise, Florida. And I did workshops with high schoolers and I worked with a poet named Darius Daughtry who was doing spoken word and coaching spoken word in Sunrise and in other areas in Broward County. And I just really fell in love with that age group. And every summer I would come home to Birmingham and work at the Ada Long workshop at UAB with high school students. And so it just became clear to me that maybe this was the age group about which I was the most passionate. And then of course the job market is wild, you know, for anybody, but especially for someone in the humanities. And, you know, the high school jobs, I tell people whenever I can, please consider teaching at the secondary level because those jobs are just as exciting as a college job and there's just a different vibe. You know, you don't have to rush your publications. You can do them at your own pace. Now, I know someone could look at me and say, okay, you published a lot. Sure, but could that be because I wasn't thinking about tenure? I don't know, um, but it's, it's, it's awesome. Um, and I do teach grad students, but my high schoolers are my first priority, my first focus. And it's nice to have that variety too, because my adult students provide different things than my young adult students. You must've had some important teachers along the way. I, I'm just wondering how you came to love poetry and how you became a poet yourself. Yeah, I've had some really amazing teachers. And I'd have to say the first teacher who set me on this path was my mom. My mom's college training was in social work. And I think she did a little study in education as well. And that's where my mom and my dad met in Montgomery, actually, at Alabama State University. And when we came along, all of us kiddos, my mom and my dad decided that one of them had to stay at home to take care of everybody because they were also very overprotective and didn't want us to go to daycare. So they were like, well, one of us has got to stay home. And at the time, my dad had the better job. He was a fireman by then, by the time I was, you know, in the womb. And that was a nice steady income. So my mom stayed home and she taught us all how to read and write and do all the things that somebody would need to know, you know, in the world as a five-year-old. So I remember being around age three, I had already learned how to read and my mom was writing with me every day, learning how to write my alphabet, all of that, watching as much public television as my little eyes could handle. So I was deep in my, you know, Mr. Rogers, Arthur, Sesame Street, all of that. And so 
I love that kind of environment. You know, I love to read books all day and imagine, you know, different scenarios and act them out, play with my dolls, draw, paint, color, you know, and just imagine this creative future for myself. So I was already sort of on that path, but it was when I was seven at Epic Elementary School in Birmingham that I really honed in on the fact that I wanted to be a poet. And that came out of an assignment that I had to memorize something that I had read and read it to the class. And I had been reading this book by Eloise Greenfield called Honey, I Love. And I memorized the poem Harriet Tubman, stood in front of the class, recited it and felt just alive with purpose and energy and just respect for my ancestors. Like I just felt so incredible. And I realized that it was the medium of poetry that led me there. Because of course I had read history books before. I had read, you know, chapter books and watched the videos they would show at school that gave us information about history. But the poem itself was the thing that changed something in me and made me feel confident and like my voice mattered in the world. Since then, I've been writing poetry. I don't know how many years that is. I'm going to be 32 tomorrow. So what is that? 25 years, I think. I'm not even going to try, but happy birthday. Of course, by the time this airs, it will have passed. Ashley was also a 2019 Literary Arts Fellow with the Alabama State Council on the Arts. Those fellowships are awards. Uh, they're grants that help further a poet's career or a writer's career for in case of literary arts or any artist can apply in different disciplines. What did the fellowship mean to you? How did that help or did it help? <laughs> oh, it did. It certainly did. I remember the day that I got the news that I was going to receive a fellowship. Obviously, I'd been through the applications process. And those of you who apply will learn about that process. But I was so excited to be awarded this fellowship, not only because every artist would like financial support, because it's not exactly the most lucrative career choice at first. Once you kind of get your feet wet and learn how to make things shake, you can get things going on that side, I'll say. I mean, we're never going to be the same as surgeons with what we can bring in. I definitely can't live on what I make from poetry, but you see what I'm saying. It, every little bit helps. And especially when we're writing books, you know, or any sort of long project for any other sort of artist, you do need financial support if, for example, you need to take time off work or if you need to do research or take a research trip or whatever it is. Or for me as a poet, it was helpful, first of all, to feel that my state was behind me. That actually really does feel amazing to say I've been awarded this from my state. So I matter to my state you know, as an artist, but also um, I do a lot of traveling with poetry and that's a part of my process of writing. I have to be like alive and experiencing things in the world for the poems to kind of flow. So this grant was able to help me not only take those trips when needed, but also people don't realize that when you're a poet, there are things you have to pay for, like entering book contests with the work once you've finished it, those things cost money. So having that money kind of takes that pressure off. You can know that you have something in the bank that can go toward all of that contest submission fee and other things like that. It was very helpful in short. It helped me a lot to be able to travel and do readings. Because sometimes, you know, you have to do a reading for free. And if you have grant funding, you know, you can, again, not tap into your regular income or what have you. So it was awesome. I am very proud to have won that grant. And the year that I received it, another poet, my very, very good friend, Tina Brazil, received it too, which was perfect because we say we are brain sisters. We share the same brain. So of course we would, you know, share that honor as well. And I think part of that money helped us do a tour together. We toured with our books across Alabama and across the country. And since we both had gotten that grant money, that became more possible 
as well. Thank you so much. We have been speaking with Ashley M. Jones, Poet Laureate of Alabama, and thank you, Ashley. Thank you. Alabama Arts comes to you from the Alabama State Council on the Arts and the Alabama Center for Traditional Culture. Technical production by Deb Boykin. Series theme music, The Bounds of Beauty, written and performed by Scooter Muse. Tonight on Alabama Arts, Ann Kimsey talks with Ashley M. Jones, Poet Laureate for the State of Alabama and recipient of a fellowship in poetry from the Alabama State Council on the Arts. Ms. Jones describes how the deep feeling she has for her home state of Alabama informs her work and how she came to appreciate her identity as an Alabamian after moving to Miami to attend graduate school. People see the South and our religiosity in one way, but I think the beauty and, like I said, the blessing of being here can be found first in nature and in what the place looks like, how it feels, how people sound, in the food. Like I mentioned, cornbread, my favorite food, cornbread, is, you know, like a blessing, a prayer, a moment of praise. So the poems are sort of doing that. But first, the news. This week on Alabama Arts, Ann Kimsey talks with Ashley M. Jones, Poet Laureate for the State of Alabama and recipient of a fellowship in poetry from the Alabama State Council on the Arts. So a lot of the poems like that one are focused on things that I took for granted while growing up here, like the landscape, like the quiet, beautiful moments, and even the blessedness of this place. That's Wednesday, 9 o'clock Central on Troy Public Radio.